According to the song, it's not supposed to rain when it's April in Paris, but the day was wet and raw. I dashed from my hotel room overlooking the Tuileries Gardens across Rue de Rivoli and took refuge in the Louvre. There were no ticket lines or tourist groups, and the vastness of the museum swallowed the few visitors, leaving the illusion that I had the whole place to myself. I skipped up the wide front stairs past the winged victory, imagining myself Audrey Hepburn in funny face. The Louvre contains the history of France within its walls, courts, coups, royal weddings, revolution, hangings, and assassination. Henri IV bled to death from the knife of the assassin Ravaillac beneath the frescoed ceiling in the Galerie d'Apollon. The Louvre was a fortress in the Middle Ages, a palace in the monarchy, the People's Museum in the Revolution, and Napoleon's showcase in the First Empire. It has stabled horses, sheltered squatters, and served as a printing house, an assignation spot for prostitutes, and studios for artists. David and Fragonard once lived and worked in the area below the Grand Galerie. Family wash hung out on clotheslines, heated arguments and cooking flavors filtering up into the galleries. When Napoleon became emperor, he evicted the painters, complaining that one day they would burn down his museum. I was wandering through the galleries, without a guidebook or floor plan, when I came upon Mona Lisa, suddenly, unexpectedly, hanging in the center of one wall. The framed painting was enclosed in a glass box. It was sometime in the late 1970s, and there was no special guard or protective rope forcing visitors to keep their distance. On the Louvre wall, she appeared dark, her colors muddy, her attitude aloof. Leonardo wrote that a painter should avoid positioning his subject in the full sun where the light and shadows are strong. She appears different to me now. I have been living for months with Mona Lisa, teasing out the answer to a century-old mystery. In my narrow room, framed in a single long window, the shutters open to a slant of northern light. She has the colors of the Tuscan countryside. Her complexion is a soft golden shade. It doesn't matter that she has spent nearly her entire life in France or that the French call her La Jaconde and claim her as a national treasure. Mona Lisa is as essentially Italian as Sophia Loren, seductive yet serenely contained, instantly recognizable yet ever elusive. In 2004 and 2005, an international team of specialists assembled at the Louvre to lift Mona Lisa's veil of mystery. They analyzed Leonardo's artistry and science using the most sophisticated technology, radiography, 3D scanners, microfluorescence, infrared reflectography, chemical and gas chromatography of the paint, and more. No work of art has ever undergone such intensive scrutiny. Mona Lisa, inside the painting, presents their analyses, confirming in fascinating and exhaustive detail what the astute art patron Cassiano dal Pozzo wrote in 1625. Mona Lisa lacks only the power of speech. Her posture is perfect, her shoulders straight, hands folded one across the other. She wears no jewelry, not even a wedding ring. If she reached a hand out, the gesture would seem perfectly natural. 
Her face is wide at the cheekbones, the forehead high, the chin pointed. Her nose is narrow, her lips pale and closed, the corners turned up ever so slightly in the famous smile. More than the smile, though, it is the eyes that captivate. They are warm, brown, and inescapable. Mona Lisa only has eyes for me. There is no other, no one more interesting, more intelligent, more compelling. And what is extraordinary? If a dozen others crowd into this room, each one will feel the same. Each person who looks at her becomes the only person in her world. It is flattering, and at the same time maddening, because she gives away nothing of herself. I close my eyes and imagine that she has vanished. Two. The mystery of Mona Lisa that I am pursuing begins in Paris at the end of the Belle Epoque, when the city was poised at the cusp of an irreverent new century and an irreverent new art. In the brief avant-guerre interlude before trench warfare and unutterable loss, a burst of glorious incandescent energy made the city of lights electric. Extraordinary young talents in many mediums from many nations trooped to Paris to perform their high-wire acts. The Russians Diaghilev and Stravinsky, the Italian Modigliani, the Spaniards Juan Gris and Pablo Picasso, and the man without a country, Guillaume Apollinaire. From the ateliers of Montmartre and the cafés of Montparnasse, a radical creative idiom was emerging that would change both art and writing. While Proust was wresting the remembrance of things past from a pile of notes and scribbles, the very sentiment of remembrance was coming under attack. The past was no longer a lesson to be mastered. It was an inhibition to be overcome. Paris, then, was as critical to the future of art as Florence was in the Renaissance, and the preeminent painter of each period, the celebrated master Leonardo da Vinci and the brash young contender Pablo Picasso, became central players in a crime so brazen and so brilliant that it would capture the attention of the world. A century later, the mystery lingers, the truth as elusive as the prize. Who stole Mona Lisa?'